And I don't think I'm warping the Bible too much to say we're about ready to get into an exciting action movie segment of 2 Samuel. So sometimes you read the Bible and there's parts where you're like, that just doesn't even make sense. Or I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know why that's in the Bible or why this happened. And Solomon, whose name we heard last week, right? He wrote in Proverbs 25, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Solomon in his wisdom knew that God hid things. There's things hidden in creation. There's things hidden in us. And it brings a king glory to figure it out and to look into it and to hmm, give it a good hmm. What, what is that all about? And I think that is the best commentary on how to do Bible study in the whole Bible. <laughs> it's the glory of God to conceal things. There's stuff that the Lord, using the Holy Spirit, inspiring people to write things down, has hidden stuff in the Word. And so it's the glory of kings to search things out. As the heavens are for height and the earth is for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. So it's the glory of kings to search things out. But what's in a king's heart is just, it's deeper than the earth and it's higher than the heavens. It's just really hard to figure out. And that applies to all of us, right? I could really have this holy, beautiful worship God moment and get up out of my chair and want to steal a hubcap. <laughs> it's like what is in my heart and soul just went from the highest of heights to the depths of depths. What in the world? And all of that is the uh, that's the little preview that's a little preview context mindset text to give you for 2 Samuel chapter 13. So 2 Samuel chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 are all a single event. They're all a single, uh, I don't want to say story, I don't want to say, because it all really happened. But it's all told as a segment. And chapter 13, in modern movie ways, could be the thing that you would see really short at the beginning before you ever see the credits. Right? So you have to know about David and Bathsheba. We talked about David and Bathsheba. So you know this is the, the state of affairs and the state of the world is David and Bathsheba and Uriah and this dead child, but then Solomon. And you don't know who Solomon is, but oh, you know that name. Something is going to happen. Some, there's some greatness there. So then you get to 13. And the theater goes dark and the screen comes up. And it's, all of this chapter happens before you ever get the title, because this is the intro. This is the little subtle origin story of our villain. 
where we get to know who the bad guy is, why the bad guy is the bad guy, why the bad guy became a bad guy, and how in every good story, because the gospel is written on our hearts, how the bad guy came to be through the actions of the hero making a mistake. Oh gosh. So, 2 Samuel 13.1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister. So he is just like, oh. okay, so you read all this and you're like, wait, brother, sister, remember, old King David had eight wives before he ever met Bathsheba, okay? After Bathsheba, he acquired more wives. He had concubines. He had all these women. And many of them had children. And so all of these people having all of these children, when they say she's his sister, it's more like half-sister, okay? The other thing that's wild, much later, they're going to talk about Absalom. It's key, you get a key hint that the first person named in chapter 13 is Absalom. If this were a story about Tamar and Amnon, they would have been named first. This isn't a story about Tamar and Amnon. This is a story about Absalom. So Absalom was born. I forget what her name was. David's wife also starts with an A. It wasn't Abigail. It was the wife that David got after Abigail. <laughs> Absalom and Tamar were the only two kids that this lady had. But later it's going to say Absalom was the most handsome man in all of Israel. And so the ancient rabbis see that and they're like, well, his sister's got to be a looker too. <laughs> so Tamar is beautiful. Amnon is the child of another, one of the first wives David had. Amnon is actually the very first born son of all the gazillion kids from all the gazillion wives that David would have. And so when you think about kings and lineage, firstborn son, according to Mosaic law, firstborn son is going to get half of everything King David owns at his death. It's a pretty big deal, right? So that was how Jewish law went with inheritance. The firstborn would get half of everything. And then the other half would go to all the other kids, divided up among all of them. So when the prodigal son comes and says, I want my inheritance, he's only getting a portion of the second half. The older son that's all grumpy and says, you never do anything for me. He's going to get half of everything. He's going to get more than anybody. So Amnon, oldest, firstborn. Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom. Absalom, handsome dude. Okay, we got everybody? Nope, there's one more person we got to talk about. David. King David. Just spent the last three weeks talking about this. Stole another man's wife. 
killed the guy, took her for himself. There are sometimes that things will happen in a family. I mean, this happens in our house. Where all of a sudden, we'll look over and one of my sons will do something or move or make an expression. Oh my gosh, it's exactly like I would say that. <laughs> it's exactly what I would do. Sometimes Grace will do something. We'll be like, oh my gosh, she's a little Cindy. Sometimes Cindy will do something and she'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm just like my grandma. I'll do something. I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's Tim Sullivan all over again. Well, that happens good and bad, right? So you, you got to remember the context that this is in. This story is not told way, way late in David's reign. This story is told right after the horror of David and Bathsheba. And so it's going to be in that context. David and Bathsheba is the prequel that you need to watch so you get all the inside jokes to the sequel, right? There's one more guy we got to talk about. He doesn't get mentioned much, but he is important, and his name is Jonadab. So Jonadab is a friend of Emnon's, but he also might be a friend of Absalom's. And Amnon is like, oh my gosh, I love Tamar. She's so hot. I want to marry her. And Jonadab is like, dude, we got this. You just ask the king, act like you're sick. Ask the king, you want her to bring you some food so you'll feel better. And you can watch her cook all the food and all that stuff. Jonadab says that. Really wild. The rabbis that make commentary on this, they had this whole huge teaching about you shouldn't be friends with people like Jonadab. You shouldn't even study the Torah with despicable people because they'll tell you the wrong thing to do and they'll give you hints and they'll suggest bad things and you'll do them and you'll die. So, a little advice there. So he does it. He goes with the plan. He asks King David... Oh, I'm so sick. If only beautiful Tamar would come and cook me some food so I could watch her cook. And David says, okay. Kind of weird. Like David doesn't know what's happening. David doesn't get it. There's a lot of places in Scripture where, I mean, Old Testament, where people sin and they do wrong and it obscures their judgment. And it obscures their wisdom. They might be super wise people. Remember King Saul did this a couple times too. Super wise people. And then they do some disobedience and they walk in the flesh and they do their own thing. And then they have a decision to make and they totally don't even see what's happening. So she comes, she cooks for him. He grabs her, sort of makes his, his wife, does all this terrible stuff, kicks her out. Get out of here. Hates her more than he loved her. And she runs out, shamed, banished, puts dirt on her head, tears her shirt. She is just distraught. And her brother, Mr. Hanson, Absalom, says, what has happened? She tells him what happened. He says, you don't worry about it. Don't worry. You come stay at my house. You can't go get married now. You're shamed. I will take care of you. 
And so she stays with him. Two years go by. Nothing happens. David hears about it. You think, oh man, David. Like, remember when Nathan came and he's like, there's this rich guy and there's this poor guy and this guy had all these sheep and this guy only had one. And David was like, that guy should die and pay fourfold. Hmm. David doesn't do a thing. Verse 21, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's a commentary and it says he didn't do anything because Amnon was his firstborn son and he loved him. He loved him. That's interesting. He didn't do anything because he loved him. And I'll just give you a spoiler. If he would have loved him and done something about it, he would have saved his life. And he probably would have saved a lot of other lives too. But this idea of he loved him so he didn't do anything is going to lead to his destruction. Do I mean Amnon or David? Yes. So he didn't do anything. He was very angry, but he didn't do anything. Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon. He hated him. So now this has begun. Remember how David did this bad thing with Bathsheba and then Nathan said, the sword will never leave your house. There will always be a sword in your house. This is the beginning of that sword. This is how it, this is how it happens. It's the same event of David and Bathsheba, you guys. Isn't that awful? Same thing. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Belhazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. So when you shear your sheep, you're cutting all the wool off of them, and it's like the harvest. It's the harvest of the wool of your sheep. And man, you're going to sell that, and you're going to get so rich, you're going to get so much money. There's a whole other story in the Bible involving another lady named Tamnar, and all this horrible stuff happens after sheep shearing. So if you had all that in your head, you'd be like, oh, oh, like this is the same. This is like when they show Anakin Skywalker and they play the Darth Vader music because you know what's going to happen. This is that same kind of thing. You're like, oh, something, somebody's going to die. <laughs> oh. So Absalom has this big party and he says, everybody come to come to Belhazor. Come, let's have a feast, y'all. I have good steak. I have lamb. Because sometimes when you sheep shear, some of the sheep are done. So you have a barbecue too. Have a big party. And David says, no, my son, we'll be a burden to you. We don't want to be in trouble. But you have my blessing. And Absalom says, oh, well then, let Amnon come instead, instead of you. And David's like, okay, sure. King said, why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? 
Be courageous and be valiant. So we're going to get all the king's sons together. We're going to have a huge party. We're going to get Amnon good and drunk. And then we're going to kill him. And they did it. The servants of Absalom did so. Absalom commanded. And all the king's sons arose, each mounted his mule and fled. Right? Because you're sitting there at this big old mule. I mean, there's probably like two... David had eight wives before he met Bathsheba. Okay? So... He had more than one kid by each of them. He had more than one son by each of them. So you're talking maybe two dozen, maybe three dozen of the king's sons all having this party. And all of a sudden, one of the servants gets up and kills Amnon at Absalom's command. They are running. They are getting out of there. What is going on? So they all flee. While they're all on their way, news makes it to David. So this is this has happened. Somebody tells somebody, somebody runs and tells somebody, somebody runs and tells somebody else, right? Pony Express kind of thing. All the way to David. Absalom struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. Absalom killed everybody. The king arose, tore his garments, lay on the ground. Oh, all of his servants tore their garments. This is just, this is really bad news. But Jonadab, what? Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother, saw, said, don't be upset. Don't think they've killed everybody. They have only killed, Amnon alone is dead. Because the command, it was by the command of Absalom because he's hated him ever since that thing with Tamar. And he's wanting to kill him. So don't worry. It's just him. So somehow, we don't know. We don't get description. But somehow, Jonadab knows that this was the end game for Absalom. That something happened in here some people think that Jonadab, this is Jonadab's plan all along. Because if he could gain favor from Absalom and get Absalom on his side, then he would have a place, a chance of not, maybe not ruling, but he's at least in the household of David, right? He's already in the household of David somehow because he's there talking to the king while the king is mourning. It's pretty wild that Absalom... Or that Jonadab is the one that knows that it was just Amnon. But Absalom fled. Absalom didn't run back to Jerusalem. He runs off and goes in another direction. All the king's sons come. The watchman sees them all coming. And they say, look, Jonadab's here again. Behold, the king's sons have come. Just like your servant said, so it has come about. Just like I said, it happened. I'm important. I know stuff. <laughs> Jonadab, I think he wants to get killed himself. So they all come and they say what really happened. And they still weep bitterly because this has still happened. Amnon is dead. Hmm. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, the king of Jeshur. 
And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Jeshur and was there for three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom. The king loved Absalom. Ah, wanted to go to him. Again, this weird business of inactive, passive love. He loved Amnon, so he didn't punish him. He loved Absalom. You think King David could go visit the king of Geshur? Remember how King David was getting all this stuff from every king all over? The cedars of Lebanon from Tyre. and David could go to him. But there's this, this dumb weirdness where his... He's a little he's a little off in his in his wisdom. He longs to go out to Absalom, but he didn't. And then there's this last weird phrase in this chapter. He was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. See, David had conflict of Amnon did this terrible thing. But he's my favorite and I don't want to punish him. But that is just wrong. Oh, good. Somebody else did it. The problem of Amnon is solved because somebody else did it from David's passivity. David's lack of action. What we're going to see happening here is now Absalom has birthed out this sword that's going to be in David's house until the end of his reign. And this sword came about the same spirit of adultery and wife-takery and all that that started with David and Bathsheba, came to full bloom in Amnon with Tamar. The, the revenge and manipulative killing that David did with Uriah the Hittite is coming to fruition in Absalom, and it's all messed up, right? The whole thing, remember when Nathan said to David, I made you king, and you have made me look like a laughingstock. The God of Israel, you've made a laughingstock to all the other nations. And so in order to protect God's honor, the laughingstock is going to become David. The shame of sin isn't going to be on God who allowed it to happen. The shame is going to be on the person who used their freedom to commit the sin. Does that make sense? So it's the glory of God to hide a thing. And it's the glory of kings to search out a matter and to figure something out. And what we're going to see through what we've already seen through David and Bathsheba, bringing about Solomon, what we've seen through David's inactivity and passivity, resulting in a couple deaths, is that Jesus gives us freedom and he allows us to do things. God gives us the allowance to do things, but he doesn't give us the freedom so that we will sin. He gives us freedom to bring him glory. It's the glory of kings to search things out, to figure things out, to solve riddles, to solve this stuff, and then to use it all for good, right? But when we do bad, when we use our freedom to sin, the Lord does not abandon us. 
And through all of this terror and horror of Tamar and Absalom and Amnon, and we're going to get into some more over the next weeks, God brings about his will. He still accomplishes his action. The very end of Job, it says, no one can thwart the plans of God. Moses does all this stupid stuff. It just delays him by 40 years. <laughs> it didn't leave everybody trapped in, the, in Egypt. It didn't leave everybody trapped in the wilderness. It just delayed it by 40 years. These actions, these are not what God's will is. Did you notice God isn't mentioned anywhere in this whole section? God's not going to be mentioned a whole lot, but he's going to show up if you know Solomon's going to become the great king. Not Absalom, not Amnon, right? You, you know, you see how God is going to redeem all these things. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are our redeemer. Thank you that you give us absolute freedom to follow you, that we're not mind-controlled robots that have no will, but that you give us the deeper joy that we can choose to aim our will towards you and to seek after you lord we have all done terrible things and i pray that even right now the the worldly results of those terrible things would be would be covered by your hand would be covered by your spirit would be covered by your goodness and we thank you lord that we can trust you even just talking about neighbors being involved in drugs that we can trust you, that people that we watch that are making big mistakes, we can trust that you will stay with them and that you will always help them. We love you, we exalt you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so church, as you go about this week, watch for it. Watch and see what terrible, awful things are happening in the world that God is turning to his glory. God bless you. And happy Mother's Day.